podcast on the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com. Let's podcast this bitch. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Greg's feeling aggressive today. Let's do this. Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording, as usual, in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Tove. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, Christopher. Glad to be here. Okay, so so Greg's been on the show many times. Right. He's and, a vet. And John, you made one... Very Im- impressionable appearance. Oh yes, I, I listened. That but it was over was the phone. Good. It was a over the phone podcast. Yeah, not in studio. But that was back when you and I did an episode uh, on the election last fall. Yeah, it was a pretty good one. I liked that right. one. But but the two of you have never been in studio or recorded together. Correct. No, we have not. Well, yes. And the audience doesn't know this, but all three of us have known each other for several years. Yes, that's right. And <laughs> more than several. Yeah. And that's nice. We're all within about six months of each other's birthdays. Yeah. That's pretty cool, right? That's pretty cool. And here we are all together, finally. How about that, huh? Yeah. We've what a coincidence. <laughs> okay, We've so... We've all made it this far. So, so most of the time, Greg, as you know, our, our roundtable discussions have four people. Correct. Right? If you notice, today we only have three. Mm. Hmm. Right? Should I bring somebody else in here? No, no, no. I've had oh, that okay. covered. So, right. so since we only have three, I've decided to add a fourth virtual person. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. His name is Arthur Ingersoll. Arthur Ingersoll. Uh-huh. And he's from hmm. England. Sounds like a professor. And, and he's from England. Let's welcome him to the show, everybody. Welcome. Oh, yes. Welcome, Arthur. Welcome. Gentlemen, thank you for letting me join you today. Oh, Arthur, we're so glad to have you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks, Arthur, for coming into the yeah. show. Huh. Hello, John. Hello, Arthur. How are you? So you're from Garland. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised you are smart enough to find the studio today. <laughs> wow. Oh, Arthur. Oh, Arthur, what a... It's coming out swinging. <laughs> what a super D. Arthur, you're, you're new to the show. Let's not insult our guests. Kudos to whoever was able to convince you to not marry your sister. Whoa. Jeez, wow. Geez. Kudos. She's a good Let's kisser. Give that person some kudos. Give some kudos. <laughs> I hear you go to CrossFit. That's right. Not often enough. <laughs> That's that's true, Arthur. What Jeez. a D, Arthur. All right, I don't even want him to get to me. <laughs> it, it's a good thing you're across the pond, Greg. You've been on the show several times. Ah, uh, yeah, a few times, Arthur. If I'm totally honest, I find you barely tolerable. The, oh, bar- <laughs> barely, <Wow>. barely tolerable. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So attitudinal. Okay, Arthur. Although your friend Bronco Billy is terrific. Can't get enough of him. Oh, really? He's a big fan of really? Rocco Billy. Oh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. He's yeah. a very good friend of mine. He's much better than Stallion Steve. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you as well. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm out of here. Arthur's got a question for Greg. I'm out of here. By all means, Arthur, what is your question for Greg? Mm-hmm. All right, Arthur. What is that on your face? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, answer his question. What is that on your face? I don't know. What is it, Arthur? I think it's supposed to be a goatee, but it makes your mouth look like a poorly maintained vagina. <laughs> oh my god! 
gosh. <laughs> wow. wow. Oh, my. Arthur is so okay. aggressive. <laughs> this is, I think this is the Topes alter ego, actually. I, yeah, this is all yeah. the things he wants to do yeah, on yeah, a daily basis. Exactly. Yeah. This is a level I, of aggression we're not used to on this show. <laughs> this is like a look on page Boy, four of his diary. Yeah. Yeah, this is exactly what he really is. Okay. I, I, his I, journal. Think, I think we had a really good idea. We we're all well intentioned. I don't think it's going to work out. So, Arthur, I think we're going to have to ask you to leave the show, and we're going to have to continue without you. Please go. Suits me fine. I didn't want to waste my time with this tripe anyway. Well, 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 well okay, well then be yeah. on your way. La-di-da. Go watch your football. All three of you can bug off. Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> wow. All three of you can bug off. All right, well, that That's was... Okay. I thought I didn't hear bug. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, was, uh, that was awesome, everybody. I'm sorry. He's not going to make it. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, we should boo him on the way out, not clap. <laughs> didn't he want to be an intern at one time? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he might have been on the intern list. Who knows? Yeah. Well, uh, he was I, a little too rude. I, mean, he's, <laughs> I think he's really bitter. What yeah. A, wow, gentlemen. Uh, sorry about that. Huh. I thought that was going to go much differently. Wow. So. Huh. Okay, so, so <laughs> clearly that didn't work out. So let's move on with that. I'm, this is the first of a four-episode series on the year 1992. So we're going to discuss movies, music, TV, and events from that year. But today in part one, we're going to start with movies. All right. Looking forward to this. So we, we picked 1992 for two <coughs> reasons. Correct. One is because it's been 25 years, so it's the 25th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't say that. And two, because we all graduated high school around that time. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a particular cultural re- relevance to it for us. Because it came at such a formidable time. Yes. <laughs> so, let, let's get started with a brief overview. Let's just kind of look at the at the year in movies just in general. So, here are some of the award winners from that year. At the Golden Globes that year, best film went to Sin of a Woman. At least the best drama went to Sin of a Woman. Did you guys see Sin of a Woman? I did. A lot later, though. Oh, you did? I did not see it. That I saw it, like, maybe yesterday. Al Pacino uh, and Claire <laughs> Forlani. Okay, so the Academy Award for Best Picture that year went to Unforgiven, which was that Clint Eastwood's directorial debut? Had had he directed Ooh, stuff before then? I De- think he had debut. I think he'd smattered, but this was the biggie. This is yeah, the, this is right. his first big one. Best director did go to Cl- uh, Clint Eastwood for that movie. Mm. Well deserved. Uh, the Golden Globe for Best Actor went to Al Pacino and Tim Robbins, respectively, and then Al Pacino got the Academy Award for Son of a Woman. <laughs> so, so all of the best actresses went to movies that I um, either didn't see or never heard of. Howard's mm. Z- Emma Thompson, Howard's End, Miranda Richardson for <laughs> Enchanted April, never heard of that movie. I've and heard then, of Howard's End. Eighteen-year-old John was not concerned with Enchanted <laughs> April or Howard's End. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine. No, and believe then, it or not. And then Gene Hackman from Unforgiven swept the Golden Globes and the Oscars and got the best best supporting actor that year. He's awesome. He is awesome. And he I, and he retired sometime back officially. Yeah, he yeah. Le- he yeah. left acting. I don't remember what year that was, but he did. I bet you John, eighteen-year-old John, was interested in Mar- Marissa Tomei though. Yes. Oh heck yeah. Who who I don't remember this but controversially she won best supporting actress the, the Oscar that year yes, for she did. My cousin Vinny which That's we'll get right. to here shortly. Okay, so moving on from there. So let's look at which movies made the most money that year. Okay. A lot of the movies we're not going to be talking about. No, but a couple that we are. Couple. So I don't remember I mean I remember Aladdin being big. I don't so Aladdin was <laughs> Disney's Aladdin was the top grossing film from nineteen ninety two. Kids movies, you know, I mean they do that. But a half a billion? Yeah. This is just box office. Yeah. I wonder what that video. is today. I don't know. Is this worldwide or is this It's worldwide. That's so, a lot of money in nineteen ninety two. That's my point. That's an enormous amount. Five hundred million. 
in box office in 1992 yeah. for Aladdin. That's a big number. Uh, the Bodyguard obviously was a huge movie. Uh, 400 million, still a huge number. I was surprised to see Home Alone 2, which which I was I think a lot of people liked. It's right the off the coattails of one, though. I for mean, let's, let's for sure, honest. but but still, that's a that's a big gross for a for a sequel. Oh, it's, yeah, it is. That's why they made it a third. Basic Instinct, obviously a huge movie from 1992. Uh, again, surprised that it made that much money. I knew it was a successful. Three hundred and fifty-two million. Pretty much one reason why it made that much money. Yeah, people paid three hundred fifty million just for one scene. Yep, <laughs> for one three-minute scene. One little crutch. Are you surprised that the third installment of that's an expensive crotch. That's a that's the that's, mo- maybe maybe the world's most crotch. expensive crotch. <laughs> Excellent yeah, point. Is. Are you surprised that the third installment of that the third installment of Lethal Weapon made that much? I like this yeah, series. I, I always had. Um, now th- three is probably where they after three is where they lost me. Yeah, but I up think until three, three it was three is was fine, but one, two, and three were fine. After that, right is where they kind of yeah. So then Batman Returns never saw it. Oh. Uh, that might have been one the one with Chris O'Donnell as Robin. It might be. It might have been. It I don't be. care to look. All that of up. those were terrible, in my opinion. They were. Yes, they were. Yeah, atrocious. they were. A uh, few, Joel few good men. One of my favorite movies. We'll talk about that more uh, in this episode. <coughs> uh, Sister Act. I think you and I both agree, Greg. I have n- no love for Whoopi Goldberg. No. <laughs> don't think she's talented. Don't think she's glad entertaining. She's out of show business. My wife loves this movie, and I don't get it. I really like Ted Danson, so it grosses me out that they're a couple. You know, you mentioned earlier that Gene Hackman got out of acting because he retired. She got acting because she sucked, right? <laughs> I mean, let's just all be honest. Because <laughs> she was terrible. Right? And somehow she got Ted Danson back in the day. What in the world? I mean, how did that happen? I don't know. Because back then, he was... Uh, he was, yeah. He was a star of Cheers, yeah. which was a huge show at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never understand I mean, that. I, I, rem- I remember... Ted Danson and Marissa Tomei it's, it's together eyebrows. really got John, 18-year-old John real interested <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, I, I, I never saw it. <sighs> it was long. I remember Man. being long. So with that, let's jump into our first film. You guys ready? Uh, yes. A funny thing happened to William and Stanley on their way to college. At what point did you shoot the clerk? They got framed for murder. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, two kids from New York are in deep trouble. It's time to make your phone calls. The clan's here. They're in bread. They sleep with their sisters. In the deep south. Some of them do. And only one man can save them. You need to call an attorney, a great attorney. He's not your typical hero. We got an attorney in the family. Great, who? He's... My cousin Vinny. You stick out like a sore thumb around here. Oh, yeah, you blend. You graduated from law school six years ago. What have you been doing since? Studying for the bar. That's a lot of studying. What's this over here? You never heard of grits? Sure. I used to actually never seen a grit before. It's his first case. Now, did not tell you dress appropriately. You were serious about that? The way you handled that, Judge. Oh, you're a smooth talker. You are. It's their last chance. The two youths. Did you say youths? Yeah, two youths. What is a youth? But with Vinny's style, I wore this ridiculous thing for you. And Vinny's girlfriend, we agreed to get married as soon as you won your first case. My biological clock is ticking like this, and the way this case is going, I ain't never getting married. They're dead meat. May I have permission to treat Miss Beetle as a hostile witness? Do you think I'm hostile now? Wait till you see me tonight. Joe Pesci is my cousin Vinny. You two know each other? Yeah, she's my fiancée. Well, that was 
couldn't explain the hostility. Wow. Wow. Will you listen that to that? That was such a 1992 movie trailer. <clears throat> Did you like the uh, the, the uh, <coughs> song in the background by Like Tone Loke? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, just so you know. On a MIDI keyboard. So the first movie is My Cousin Vinny. Greg, that was your first of your two picks? Yes, it was. Congratulations, Greg. Thanks. <laughs> all right. Next one was... What? Wow, that's all, that's all you have to say about the movie that you picked? Um, you know, first of all, I think that's when... I think there was a time period where Ralph, Ralph Macchio was no one after, after the Karate Kid, right? I yep. mean, he kind of disappeared off the face of the earth and all, all of a sudden he showed up in this movie we're like oh ralph Macchio." you're like where was he yeah where's he been now we still don't know where he's he, been he though. did like he did like outsiders <laughs> in like 1980 right and then he did karate kid in like 86 and then he disappeared until 92 and right. did my cousin Vinny, right. and then then he disappeared again yeah, he's right. like a he's like a locust he goes into hibernation and comes out every seven years and he probably looks the exact same as he did when he's in karate kid yeah because because I, I didn't look it up but ralph macho has got to be 50 yeah. yeah and, and I, I guarantee you he probably still looks like he's 20. i think i've seen a picture of him in the last <laughs> couple of years and he doesn't look that old yeah yeah he's, he's a lot guys. like he's a lot like scott bayo right scott bayo can still look young and we can say the same for marissa tomei she looks she, she awesome was, she's in the the spider-man movies yes and she looks incredible when she yes. comes on the stage on the screen i'm like Oh. But why is she playing Aunt May? Aunt May. And she wears those high pants in that know, movie. Money? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> she well, was better my in cousin The Wrestler. Vinny. Oh. What did you say? She was a wrestler? She was better in The, in the wrestler. wrestler. I never saw that. You might need to. Yeah. <laughs> do your pants a favor. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> actually, oh, my, might, might do his pants a disservice, actually. <laughs> I'm confused by both of your comments now. <laughs> Uh, my cousin Vinny was the, to me, one of the ultimate fish out of water tales, and that's what it is, right? It's the fish yes, out of water, for sure. Correct. The guy yeah. who doesn't belong, and it's in the absolutely way, exactly the way they is. wrote it and directed it. It was. Ju- I remember seeing this in the movie with my mother, and both of us, you know, because when you're 18, you don't have a lot necessarily connected with your mom, but we both. We laughed so hard at this movie. I remember we cried. We were laughing so hard. Well, in a similar way, my dad loves this movie. Like I, I, everybody, yeah, if, loves if you spend, this dad doesn't a, like a whole lot either. No, yeah, he, that's he hates, a lot. He hates everything. Right. And if you spend even a few minutes around him, he's gonna say two utes. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna happen. So he's he's uh, Fred McGuinn. Was that his name? Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn. Yep. So maybe your dad really identifies with Fred Gwynn. And I would say from that character as the judge to what I know of your father. Very similar. Very parallel. I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> to what? <laughs> Actually let me just let me just play that scene. That's okay. a that's a funny scene. Is it possible to two youths? Uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. Yeah, classic. Uh-huh. That became the minute people saw that movie. They they were quoting it in the lobby. Absolutely. They were they were saying yes. they were saying the utes thing over and over. Probably so much that it was overused by a lot. But it was just. 
that scene, the, the, those characters' interactions in in the, the entire movie, <clears throat> in the way that these one-liners that we've taken away from it 25 years later, they were just so good. Yeah, that was my second note. Was first of all, I, I loved it. I still love it. I still think it holds up. I still think it's a fun watch. If it comes on TBS tomorrow and I'm home, I'll. You're watching it. I'll throw it on, and, and it's hilarious and incredibly quotable. That's that was essentially my summary. The other thing is, was there a bad performance in this entire movie by anybody? Ralph Macchio was probably the weak link, in my opinion. Really, you think so? Yeah, but I really he was do. Fine, but I mean, I, the, no, I'm not saying he's terrible. But the bar is low for but, acting in a movie like this. Right? <laughs> I don't know that anybody like, was bad. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's no, no, I mean. no. You're right. Like no one had a standout bad performance. Keanu Reeves wasn't in it, right? Right. Yeah. So, so we're good. <laughs> so we're safe. <laughs> so here's what the critics had to say about it. Said it, uh, it says, uh, the deaf comic uh, interplay between Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei helped, helps to elevate My Cousin Vinny's predictable script, and the result is a sharp, hilarious courtroom comedy. Agreed. Good job, critics. Yeah, that was uh, pretty good. Wow. You uh, get paid to do that and stuff. So according to Rotten Tomatoes, yes. critics gave My Cousin Vinny an 85, which is actually pretty okay. high. That's, That's pretty high. The audience liked it a little bit better. They gave it an 87. And the cumulative score on IMDb was a 7.5. So this is a highly regarded film, yep. both by critics and audiences. Right. Yep. And still plays today. And, yeah, and still That's plays. the thing to me. Is it's still, 25 years later, plays today. Yeah, still, still a fun movie to watch. and doesn't yeah. seem super dated. Looking at the economics, the film only cost $11 million to make. Does that surprise you? High or low? That seems low, a little bit low to me. Maybe uh, not. Back then, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it's not... It's, it's not, not a big number. extremely high, no. Well, yeah, it's not one of those high production value movies, so... You, you look I, at some I get the, that. Yeah. You but, look at some of these other ones on the list, and we didn't do any real huge, big budget, budget ones, but, I mean, it's... It's on the lower end. For I'm sure, sure that money was probably yeah. tied up in salaries. Maybe. And, yeah. And I think, more impressively, it made back six times its money. Yes. So... Yeah. And, and just, just an aside... Uh, on the popularity rank for that year, this came in at number fourteen. So it was a popular film. And as we as we mentioned, Marissa Tomei won the Academy won Award the for Academy support- Award on this movie. Yes, based on that purple dress she wore. Yeah, and and that's got to be pretty rare, right? For and the pod's attraction. How how often does? <laughs> and don't you remember the story? The story about the uh, deer. Where he's going hunting? <laughs> that was great. You guys want to hear that? Yes, let's hear that. That was one. great. That, that's a terrific scene. <laughs> you going hunting? What am I going to wear? What are you going to hunt? What about these pants I got on? You think they're okay? Imagine you're a deer. You're prancing along. You get thirsty. You spot a little brook. You put your little deer lips down to the cool, clear water. Bam! bullet rips off part of your head. Your brains are laying on the ground in little blooded pieces. Wait for it. Now I ask you, would you give a fuck what kind of pants the son of a bitch who shot you was wearing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Can you imagine as an actress, she's like, I get to do this scene? Right. I'm so in. Yeah. Like, that, that is why she won the Oscar that's for exactly right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because there's no one who wouldn't laugh at that, right? Oh god. So we actually do have a couple of other uh, notable scenes from that movie. Do you guys want to hear those? Sure. Instant grits. No self-respecting Southerner uses instant grits. I take pride in my grits. So, Mr. Tipton, how could it take you five minutes to cook your grits when it takes the entire grit-eating world 20 minutes? I don't know. I'm a fast cook, I guess. 
I'm sorry. I was all the way over here. I couldn't hear you. Did you say you're a fast cook? That's it? Oh, this is the cross-examination, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we to believe that boiling water soaks into a grit faster in your kitchen than on any place on the this. face of the earth? I don't know. Well, perhaps the laws of physics cease to exist on your stove. <laughs> Were these magic grits? Mm-hmm. I mean, did you buy them from the same guy who sold Jack his beanstalk beans? Uh, objection, Your Honor. Objection sustained. Are you Mr. sure about Tipton, that five minutes? Ignore the question. Know. Are you sure about that five minutes? I don't know. I think you made your point. Are you sure about that five minutes? Order. I may have been mistaken. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Wait for it. I got no more use for this guy. <laughs> You're dead to me. Okay, just real quickly wrapping it up. Uh, a couple of interesting facts uh, from this movie. The misunderstanding between Vincent Gambini, Gambini and, the, and Judge Haler regarded the, regarding the two Utes was in fact a real conversation between Joe Pesci, Pesci and director Jonathan Lynn, who is British and at first had a hard time understanding <laughs> really? Pesci's, yeah, Pesci's pronounced New Jersey accent. He decided that the routine was quite funny and put it in the film. That is great. Yeah. 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 And then sadly, Fred Gwynn, this is interesting and, and sad, he died just a year after the film released. I did not realize that. Yeah, just a I year knew later. he was dead. I didn't know he died that quickly. No, I didn't either. And, God and, rest his soul. And wasn't very old. He was only 66 when he died. Wow. He didn't look healthy. No, he didn't. No, he he, did look, he look looked healthy. like a guy that might have um, consumed some cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> like ate him? Yeah. Oh, and a I lot. Had, he consumed right. him in a lot huh. of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck him up his butt? Perhaps. Wow. Okay. I mean, it might explain his accelerated death. (coughs) Yeah. His accelerated premature death. All right, let's move on to our next film. Our next film was one of John's picks. Well, one other thing just about that. I think we all remember the other great scene was the positronic traction. Oh, Oh, sorry to skip over that. Do we want to get that in? Oh, no, I don't care. I mean, I'm just saying, I think we all remember that as well. And that was just fantastic. That was just another example of Mercer Tomei just being so solid in this movie yes and being this character and honestly because i didn't know her not not many people did i thought you know you see something on screen when you're 18 years old you think oh wow she's attractive and she's got this sass and everything yeah i thought that's how she was in real life i remember a few years later when i saw a movie with her being quote normal yeah i was like what i was so confused (laughs) i was like what's that what's because she was so good at what she did yeah Yeah. but in retrospect that's now, now you go oh well that's why she won you know, be- best yeah. supporting actress. Like that was a really excellent acting job. She, she did. Yeah. really right. portrayed she did a character be- because yeah. because when you saw her, you saw that character. Right. You did not see Marissa Tomei. Right. That's what makes a great acting acting job. Yep. Okay. Well, th- that scene that you're talking about kind of marks the climax of the film. It does. And so l- let's just play that clip real quick. Ms. Vito, please answer the question: Does the defense's case hold water? No. The defense is wrong. Are you sure? I'm positive. How could you be so sure? Because there is no way that these tire marks were made by a 64 Buick Skylark. These marks were made by a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. Objection, Your Honor. Can we clarify to the court whether the witness is stating opinion or fact? This is your opinion? It's a fact. I find it hard to believe that this kind of information could be ascertained simply by looking at a picture. Would you like me to explain? I would love to hear this. So would I. The car that made these two equal length tire marks 
had Paz Attraction. Can't make those marks without Paz Attraction, which was not available on the 64 Buick Skylark. And why not? What is Paz Attraction? It's a limited slip differential which distributes power equally to both the right and left tires. The 64 Skylark had a regular differential, which anyone who's been stuck in the mud in Alabama knows you step on the gas, one tire spins, the other tire does nothing. That's right. Is that it? No, there's more. You see, when the left tire mark goes up on the curb and the right tire mark stays flat and even, well, the 64 Skylark had a solid rear axle. So when the left tire would go up on the curb, the right tire would tilt out and ride along its edge. But that didn't happen here. The tire mark stayed flat and even. This car had an independent rear suspension. Now, in the 60s, there were only two other cars made in America that had positive traction and independent rear suspension and enough power to make these marks. One was the Corvette, which could never be confused with the Buick Skylark. The other had the same body length, height, width, weight, wheelbase, and wheel track as the 64 Skylark, and that was the 1963 Pontiac Tempest. And because both cars were made by GM, were both cars available in metallic mint green paint? They were. Thank you, Ms. Vito. No more questions. Thank you very, very much. You've been a lovely, lovely witness. But so yeah, that was that was one of the strongest scenes in the film. That kind of wrapped things up, and and everybody lived happily ever after. It's a yes, it's a happily ever after ending. Yeah, for sure. Okay, moving on to our next movie. The movie is Reservoir Dogs. Put the gun down. Hear your names, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Who cares what your name is? Yeah, that's easy for you to say. You're Mr. White. You have a cool-sounding name. Let's go to work. What happens if the manager won't give you the diamonds? Cut off one of his fingers. The little one. If they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. You're acting like a first-year thief. I'm acting like a professional. Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi, Lawrence Tierney, and Michael Madsen. They're the Reservoir Dogs. Hey, Joe, want me to shoot this guy? So, John, this was your movie. Yes, I picked this movie. I don't think it occurred to me that it happened in 1992, but I picked this movie because it had a profound effect on me and my circle of friends. Oh, really? And it had, I think it had a profound effect on cinema, obviously, this being Tarantino's first, first movie. yeah. It was not like anything you had seen, or at least I had seen. Right. I mean, it's, it's not what made him big, but it made him... Get there, right? It made him stepping relevant stepping, as yeah. someone that could go out and, and create a Pulp Fiction and, right. and other things. Right. Um, the acting is amazing. The dialogue is amazing. You know, this was the time when 
Tarantino was working in the the video store. Yep, correct. And he wrote this. Yeah, and, he, he, he and wrote, produced it. He wrote, he and wrote it, directed it, and produced it. Working at a video store. Yeah. yeah. And he got Harvey, Harvey Keitel and... How he got, got some of these people, I don't understand. Keitel was the big get. Yeah. Um, I read somewhere that he read the... You know, they, they didn't have any money. They'd come up with like $500,000 to produce this, he and his, his producer friend. And they gave it to... Keitel got the script through a friend of a friend, and he read it and instantly signed on to it and put up a large portion of his own money to get it produced. Because he loved it that much. Kytel did. Kytel was... Oh, okay. I didn't know that. You know, wow. he had some sway back then. Um, but but he wasn't... I mean, Kytel wasn't in his acting prime at the time. No, I mean, this... That, you know, this is another example of... This well, elevated him up. Yes, so Tarantino, right from his first film, started this trend where he'd find actors that were kind of past their prime, and he'd bring them back. Or or new guys. You know, he Tim Roth hadn't been around. Michael Madsen hadn't been around, really. Yep. Um Bushimi was had just toiled in New York's uh, plays and cinemas because Chris Penn he would he had done Footloose, Lawrence Tierney, who's just so scary, intimidating. Just a character actor, yeah, a character actor. He'd been around, um, yeah. It's it's a hodgepodge, but he brought them all together and he created mm-hmm. such a great heist film. It's amazing. You know, every scene, it makes me hold my breath. For sure. It does. I mean, me and my friends used to get, we, we would get the video, we were still using VCRs down there, and we would, we'd get around on a Friday night and we would watch this, and we'd just, I mean, after 10, 15 times, you knew it was going to happen, but we didn't care. The interactions were so good, and the dialogue was so fast and so sharp, it, uh, it had a. It That's was, one of the things that Tarantino is so good with is dialogue, right. right? I mean, the way the characters interact with one another, the humor, everything. It's it's always dark humor kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's always and, dark, and but it's always there. He's so he's so good at that. Yeah, and this is where it first he first put it all together and, and created something. Well, and I have an example of that if you guys want to hear it. All right, everybody, cough up some green for the little lady. The tipping scene. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh-uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? You see me. No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping? You know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> uh, let me just get this straight. You don't ever tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. Uh, it's for the birds. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. I mean, she wasn't anything special. What's special? Hey, look, I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want it filled six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Well, it's too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care they'd count on your tips to live? Fuck all that. <laughs> and this, this scene reminds me of him. It reminds me of Chris <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Because, yeah. you know, we've had this conversation, I think. All just not as, not as creatively cussed. Well, but, in, um, in, in my opinion, the specific comment about the six cups versus the three cups, that is signature Tarantino right there. 
Right, the detail of, I want yes, six cups. that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, you know, this is probably a conversation he and his friends had. Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, everything. Yeah, you for know, sure, right. for sure. He, uh, he he had that conversation, wrote it down, thought it'd be great, and then just put it in this put in this movie, and it, and it was great. And, and I thought towards the beginning of the movie, when they're all sitting around and Tierney assigns them the colors, <laughs> that's a really funny scene. Yeah. We're going to be using aliases on this job. Under no circumstances do I want any one of you to relate to each other by your Christian names. Who are your names? Mr. Brown, Mr. White, Mr. Blonde, Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a faggot, all right? (laughs) Why can't we pick our own colors? No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. Now listen up, Mr. Pink. There's two ways you can go on this job. My way or the highway. Now what's it gonna be, Mr. Pink? Jesus Christ, Joe, fucking forget about it. It's beneath me, you know. I'm Mr. Pink, let's move on. I'll move on when I feel like it. Let's go to work. God, that scene is awesome. And Lawrence Tierney, you know, his famous thing, besides being an early actor, was playing El- uh, Elaine's dad once on Seinfeld. Yes, yes, that's and right. he creeped everybody out so much he, they they didn't bring that character <laughs> back because the man. I think the man was insane. I, I've read about him. I I I, I think he's crazy. So here's he's what the, now, here's but. what the critics what the critics said. Thrumming with intelligence and energy, Reservoir Dogs opens opens Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking career with a hard hitting style. I don't think we disagree with that, right? What's amazing to me is what we talked about a little bit was though the amount of money they that they made this movie for. Well, let's take a look at that amazing. actually. So, according to our information, this movie was made on a 1.2 million dollar budget. That's amazing. That is amazing. It made and, a, it, and again, a lot of it was Kaitel's money, I yeah. think. Yeah. How yeah, interesting. Absolutely. And and uh, they only doubled their money, but this little film, its first outing, and th- by the way, it, did, it didn't go international and it had limited film release. So that's part of the reason why it didn't make more money. And obviously later it became more of a cult classic. Once than it, it did. Got, went to video and everything. Yeah. yeah. It, it did much it did become It became cult status. It did I much, think. much better. Uh, but it made $2.8 million, uh, total gross, gross the, uh, box office. Uh, the critics love it, of course. It got 90% Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, audience liked it even more. It got 94%. And the IMDb score is the highest of any of the movies we're going to discuss today at an 8.3. Yeah. I mean, all of the... Uh, you mentioned the Rotten Tomatoes score is the highest we were going to... Yeah. As well. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Um, couple of... It didn't win any awards. It made it into a handful of film festivals. But again, this was Quentin, Quentin Tarantino's first film. I think he took film. this to Sundance, and everybody raved about it, but he didn't take home any prizes. And, he, and I read it, somewhere he was... He's well, like, what do I got to do? Uh, I've made this brilliant film. You know, of course, he's his favorite fan. Right? Yeah. He's his, right. his number one fan. So here's some interesting trivia or facts about the film. This was Tarantino's first film. We already talked about that. Tarantino also wrote the movie True Romance. Do you guys remember yes. that movie? Oh, and I, I thought that was yeah. a great movie. It's a good film. I, I liked it. I think it's interesting that he wrote it, but wasn't involved in the film otherwise. Right. Because everything else he's done, he's owned it. Mm-hmm. And he did that. So 92 was Reservoir Dogs. Was that before this? Yeah. So no, 92 was Reservoir Dogs. Then he wrote, uh, he might have <coughs> wrote it before this, but, okay. but that released in 93. I think, he, I think I read somewhere he did read, write True Romance before. And that was Christian did. Slater and Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Correct? Great, great movie. Who Patricia Arquette 
made an appearance in another one of his movies right. later on. Yeah, yeah. and then, and then uh, and then right after that, he did Pulp Fiction and the rest of his films and the rest of his history. Uh, the film's budget was so low that many of the actors simply used their own clothing as wardrobe. Seriously, mm-hmm. wow. makes sense. And I thought this is a really interesting fact. Michael Madsen had difficulty filming the torture scenes due to his strong aversion of violence of any kind. Well, really, it, there's a yes. scene, and and I think you wow. do you have that scene. Because that's one? that's the, tor- the, the torture scene. That is the scene. Besides the Mexican standoff shootout. All right. So in that scene, the cop who's getting yeah. his ear cut off. One of the reasons that scene shook him be because the the guy ad libbed the, the cop. Oh that, yeah, I did read that. That hey man, I got it. Or the I comment about kids. his kids. The comment yeah. about his kids. Madsen had just yeah. had a he's like a sixty month year old kid, yeah. and he and he freaked out, which is funny because Michael Madsen is famous for being just a weird guy. Yeah. So how about that? Let's move on to our next film. All right. Love is a game. You distinguish yourself by not calling her. Four days, he needs to call me. Easy to start. It's a very nice hat you're wearing, and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Hard to finish. Linda. Bye, Steve. I left my blue t-shirt at If you can't find love, you settle for sex. I'm on the bed right now, wearing something really outrageous. I think you got the wrong number, lady, but I'll be right over. In the absence of sex, you go for companionship. Uh, you want to get some dinner? Or busy? Uh, how about some lunch? Have a lunch. Coffee? Water? How about some water? Soon you're just happy to have a friend. You know, in a parallel universe, we're probably a scorching couple. But in this one, neighbors. Of course, you can't sleep with friends. Singles. You know I see other people sleep. You don't fool me. Bridget Fonda. We made the connection, and when you make the connection, it's like chemistry takes care of itself. I mean, it makes its own decisions, you know? Campbell Scott. I was just uh, nowhere near your neighborhood. Kira Sedgwick. Did I overreact? (laughs) Do you know who this is? Sheila Kelly. Could you seat me next to a single guy? I've got a special feeling about you. Jim True. And Matt Dillon. Janet, you rock my world. Singles. If I make this basket, that's fate telling me to call him. Wait, did no basket need call him or don't call him? Never mind. Directed by Cameron Crowe. So, so the third movie was my pick. The movie is Singles. It was written and directed by Cameron Crowe. Who uh, ended up doing a lot of things Yeah, he's, on, he's the guy right? behind Almost Famous, for which he won a, a, a two, an Oscar in 2001 for writing. Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Say Anything, Jerry Maguire. He wrote for The Tracy Ullman Show, uh, which gave birth to The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And he, and so this, this was earlier in his career, but he did some of those stuff before that. Was this that. one of his first ones he was he was early on in his career uh had an ensemble cast had bridget fonda campbell scott i love bridget fonda by the way i had the biggest crush on yeah point of no return Uh, bridget fonda oh yeah singles bridget fonda yeah well she was so i I picked this movie because for me at our age when this movie came out this defined the generation for me there were other movies that did the same thing you know (coughs) we were the music yeah yeah Uh. the 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 soundtrack was amazing Mm -hmm. it came right in the middle of the grunge era which which had really come onto the national scene and so so yeah pearl jam 
Alice in Chains right. and, and a handful of Soundgarden, right? Sa- well, Chris Cornell, Soundgarden, right. Right. all those guys were in it. The, the actual band Pearl Jam, the guys were in the film. They were in the yeah. film. They did yep. acting parts. Vetter and Goss, Stone Gossett, I think. Eddie Vetter played played the drummer in Matt Dillon's band in the in the film. So yeah, to me, it was it was, it was a generation defining film. Yeah, it wasn't. I I don't. I think if you go back and look at it, you weren't part of the generation. I don't think you're going to be like. No, it's taken away by the no. Movie. This movie is not going to resonate with you right. at all, and you're right. probably not even going to like it that Dude, much. If I try to get my 11 year old to watch this, snooze. No, I, even an 18 year old right now, they would be like, what no, yeah, is wouldn't this get it. Crap? Agreed. They don't, yeah. Agreed. So it, this it was, was a this is like a time capsule. Yes, for sure, for sure. It just it just hit the right tone at the right time. Yeah. Critics said it's funny and engaging. It said funny and engagingly scruffy. Singles is a clear eyed look at modern romance and doubles as a credible grunge era time capsule. Which I which tot- is, yeah, I totally which agree. What you said, yeah. yeah. So, of all the films that we're that we're discussing, it has the most notable soundtrack. It says Cameron Crowe has, uh, you know, he's been into music since he was a kid. Yep. Uh, his story as a contributing uh, writer the show to is by St- his movies too. If you Absolutely. Look at so, it, yeah. so he he documents his sort of his his own experience as a kid writer for the Rolling Stone magazine and almost famous. Boy, I mean, you look at it and think, even say anything. Yeah, John Cusack was outside holding the boombox yeah. above his head with, um, uh, what's the name of the song? Uh, In, In Your, Your Eyes, Eyes In Your right? Eyes. Yeah. Like Peter you got, Gabriel. Yeah. You got the, I mean, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, come on, the soundtrack for that. Well, and, so, you know, right. it's funny. You talk about soundtrack. That's what's important to me. In the, about this movie as a movie goes I don't particularly like this movie right but I own two soundtracks that are in my phone that I listen to when I travel and all that and that say anything and singles seriously sure. there's only sure. two did soundtracks you realize, I have. did you realize before you know that they were actually from the same director no, yeah, I didn't. Interesting. I did, I yeah. didn't know that Cameron Crowe was involved in say anything until I researched this. Film. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't know that. So a little more on the critics. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an eighty. Um, so good, but not great. Good. Yeah, the, the audience didn't like it as much as critics. They gave it a seventy three percent. So so it's one of the it's one of the lowest both in critic critics and audience. And I understand that it was it was still early in Cameron Crowe's career. It um, should probably be the lowest from the ones that we have on right. here, in my opinion. But still, like we talked about, it's part. It, it's just growing up during that time right. period. It yeah. just it, it resonates with you or it doesn't. Let's look at the economics of it. The movie costs nine million to make. He doubles his money, and it made eighteen and a half million total box office. I don't think this went international either. Yeah, and it, it didn't rank very high in popularity on the IMDb. Uh, list either it was uh, 52 which by far is the lowest of any of the movies we're huh. going to discuss i want to run through their uh soundtrack the artists that are on the soundtrack allison chains pearl jam chris cornell paul westerberg the love mongers mother love bone Soundgarden, pearl jam again mud honey this is seattle this is all grunge paul westerberg again Jimi hendrix Huh. Seattle, based, Seattle, but yeah, d- yeah. different time period. Screaming Trees, which is a great, amazing band, and Smashing Pumpkins. Unbelievable! Uh, you can't Man. get more 1992 no. than that. No. Those you, are the I bands mean, of the time. Yeah, they you just can't. The time. By the way, yeah. I love Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. Yeah. Let's wrap up with some trivia and facts about the movie. Warner Brothers held held the film at bay, unsure what to do with it, for almost nine months until the explosive success of Nirvana's Nevermind put Seattle on the map, and then they released the film. Uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden and Audio Slave. <clears throat> saw a list of Citizen Dick titles. That's uh, Matt Dillon's fake band in the in the movie. Uh, all completely made up. The song titles, <laughs> which would appear briefly in the film, and he decided to pen songs to match each title. One of those songs, Seasons, appears on the film soundtrack. The other was Spoon Man. 
huh. which was the hit single off of off of uh, Super Unknown. Yeah, the, probably their biggest album. Yeah, uh, it was later recorded by Soundgarden. It says and became a 1994 hit. And, and actually can be heard in a rough version, perhaps a demo, in the film when an unseen person is posting Citizen Dick flyers. Eddie Vedder, I mentioned this earlier, pulled double duty. He was the drummer in Citizen Dick and supplied the vocals for uh, Cliff uh, on the song Touch Me, I'm Dick, <laughs> which is hilarious. Hmm. Uh, here, here's the last uh, interesting fact and, about it. What were you going to say? And you didn't say Touch Me on... You said, I'm. <laughs> yeah, right. Touch Me, I'm Dick. Right. Was was uh, Citizen <laughs> Dick's uh, hit song. <laughs> yeah. Hit, in quotes. Uh, last interesting fact, Warner Brothers approached Cameron Crowe about turning the film into a TV series, but he turned, oh. the, but he turned them down. That series turned into Friends. Really? The series they were trying to get him to do, based yeah. off of the movies. How, huh. about, how about that? Had no idea. That is a deep dive on trivia. That's very good. Well, as much as we wanted to, we couldn't fit our discussion into one episode. So we'll be back in two weeks when we'll do a deep dive into three more movies from 1992, along with a brief discussion of a few other films from that year. Next week is another installment of This Week Today. All of our normal credits are in our show notes. Oh, and we apologize for Arthur. Clearly that was a terrible idea. Until next time, this is the Gravity Beard Podcast. It's what your ears will want to be listening to.